Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. Repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. In the Gospel today, Jesus is drawing a connection between an object that has the image of somebody on it and if that's the case, how the object needs to be repaid to that person, and the fact that we do find God's image stamped somewhere in creation, namely upon the human person, and therefore the human person, our whole life, everything that we have and are, must be repaid to God. Caesar's image is on the Roman coin, Therefore, repay the coin to Caesar. God's image is on our soul. Therefore, we need to repay our whole life to God. This is the deeper point that Jesus is making in his words today to the Pharisees. That being said, I'm going to actually focus on a a less important (laughs) point that our Lord is making in order to explain something that I don't think I've preached on directly before, but which is helpful. So I want to focus on the other part of Jesus' phrase, repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And I'm going to expand Caesar here to mean all of society. So we can, we can reframe it briefly by asking the question, what obligations or what responsibilities do we have towards society? The church has a lot to say on this topic in an area known as Catholic social doctrine. Uh, My experience with most Catholics is that it's uh, mostly an ambiguous, hazy area of church teaching for most people. However, I think especially as lay people living in and working in the midst of the world, uh, it's very helpful to have a decent grasp of some of the principles of Catholic social doctrine because it can really inform and assist you in, in uh, very important ways in how you go about your daily life. So before answering the question, what, what are our responsibilities towards society? It's helpful to maybe pause for just a second and, and ask the question, what do we mean when we say society? Because that word gets thrown around a lot and it's used in different ways. Uh, so what is society? When When most people use that word, oh, this or that trend is happening in society, oftentimes I find most people are using it in reference to the nation, to the United States. And that's obviously a legitimate uh, and accurate use of the term society. The United States is a society, right? A nation is, is a society. But it's also helpful to understand that there are many other smaller societies Uh, that go up to make a bigger society, such as a nation. Uh, For example, the family is a society. In fact, that is the most fundamental society, uh, most primordial, one that has been there since the beginning of time and will be there until the end of time. And then you have things like a school would be a society, a parish 
would be a society, a neighborhood, a city, so on and so forth. Right? So you have all these little societies uh, that go to make up human life, and we're all, to varying degrees, parts of these different societies. Now, how close we are to a particular society, if you will, is going to determine our responsibilities towards that society. So obviously you have the highest responsibilities towards your family, and then it ripples out from there. So now that we have that in place, I'm going to walk with you through uh, three fundamental responsibilities or duties that we all have uh, towards society. And I'll preface that by saying that in modern day America, oftentimes we tend to overemphasize our rights, uh, which are very important, don't get me wrong, and, but we also tend, uh, as a reverse effect of that, to underemphasize our responsibilities. Uh, you think of uh, the famous quote, I think it was John F. Kennedy way back in the day on some campaign trail, he said something, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. It's kind of that idea. We, we tend to often overemphasize uh, what we receive from different societies uh, versus what we're called to give to the societies to which we belong. Um, so it's helpful to note that we may be entering this discussion with already a lean in, in one particular direction. We may have to course correct uh, a little bit. So the first responsibility that we have towards a society to which we belong, and this is one that is wildly unpopular in the average American mindset today, because we, we grow up being taught to have suspicion or rejection uh, <laughs> in this regard. Uh, the first obligation we have towards the societies to which we belong is a respect for the authority that governs that particular society. Uh, every society has to have some sort of authority structure for it to not descend into chaos. Uh, and this authority is supposed to order and orchestrate things towards their uh, towards their goals, right? So the first obligation that we owe towards the societies of which we are a part is respect for the authorities there. Now I'm going to insert a word here which is very important, a very important qualifying word, and I'm going to insert the word uh, legitimate before authority, <laughs> right? We, we have to have respect for legitimate authorities. So when someone in authority uses their authority contrary to the ends for which it's designed, they abuse it, in other words, they're not using their authority to serve and to pursue the ends that need to be pursued within that society, then the respect or allegiance owed to them diminishes in proportion to their level of abuse. Right? So we, we can look at a variety of different structures. You think about you know, a school principal or a school board, that would be a position of authority within the community of a school. You think about a pastor with a parish, the mayor of a city, the president. Think of the fundamental society of the family and the authority that God has given to fathers uh, to, um, to lead their families in service. We think of all these, and at any time there's an abuse of the authority that has been given by God, uh, then the respect we owe that, again, it sort of diminishes proportionally. So to give an example, if you have, this is a hot thing happening right in our country currently, if you have some school board 
that mandates some program of sexual education that's actually more malformation than anything, that's teaching things completely contradictory to the natural law and all sorts of other heinous things to, to children, not only is there, is there no more sort of respect or allegiance to that authority that is owed, actually the flip side occurs where suddenly parents have an obligation uh, to challenge the authority and to try and basically uh, reverse course, right? So that would be an extreme example where the respect for authority, the legs get cut out from it uh, by the abuse of the ones who are invested with the authority. Um, or you think about pastor of a parish, if I were to use my, my teaching authority that I've received in holy orders uh, to, instead of teaching you the truth, to teach you about some heresy or whatever, uh, that would be an abuse of my, <laughs> that would be an abuse of my authority and, and your sort of allegiance to this position I've been given would diminish uh, in proportion to that abuse. So most, for most of us, this is, this is fairly, uh, this, is, this is common sense. But the, the point I do want to emphasize is that because there's so much abuse of authority in various structures within our society, what we don't want to do is let the pendulum shift so far to the opposite side of the spectrum that we forget the original principle. And the original principle is that our, our instinct, our benefit of the doubt, when I belong to a specific society, big or small, my instinct should be to owe respect to the one in authority. And only if I'm given reasons to sort of change course do I deviate from that. Unfortunately, we're taught in the United States mostly today growing up that our instinct is actually the opposite. Our instinct should be suspicion uh, of authority. And, and we want to make sure that we don't forget the original principle of this, uh, of this obligation and duty that we owe uh, towards, towards society. The second responsibility or duty that we have towards the societies to which we belong is that we have to work to build up what's called the common good. The common good is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot and again for most Catholics I think is somewhat ambiguous. The simplest way to describe the common good is that the common good is a conglomeration of environments that foster human flourishing. It's a set of social situations or environments that lead to human flourishing. The Catechism gives a slightly more detailed definition. It says, the common good is the sum total of social conditions that allow people to reach their fulfillment more fully and more easily. So you might have a Catholic, for example, who works in politics and is working towards the common good on a very, very high level. They're working to establish just laws let's say. Now, just laws are extremely important for the common good because they provide a framework wherein the citizens of a particular nation or state can have their consciences formed, right? Law is, a, is meant to be a tool to teach us what's right and wrong. It also provides a sort of a, a, a framework of uh, rights and obligations that allow us to move and engage freely within society and to fulfill our potential in different ways. Just laws are extremely, extremely important. And so you might have a Catholic working in politics that's, that's really trying to build up the common good on that high level. 
Now we can go all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum and say that all of us have opportunities in very small ways to contribute to the common good, to either build from scratch an environment of some kind that is conducive to human flourishing, or to improve some environment that isn't really very conducive to human flourishing. I'll give you a very mundane example. A friend of mine, anytime he goes into a gas station restroom, if there are paper towels on the floor, he always tries to pick up at least one of them before he leaves and throws it in the trash. He doesn't you know, cl necessarily clean up the whole, <laughs> the whole place, but he tries to, to do at least this little part. Now, how does that contribute to the common good? Well, when you walk into a gas station bathroom that's wonderful and clean and, and spotless, you feel like a human being. Right? And when you walk into a gas station bathroom that's not like that, you're like, what is this? I feel like an animal. What, I mean, what, you know, it, it doesn't contribute to a sense of human dignity, right? So even something as small as that can go a long way to creating an environment that contributes to human flourishing, that makes that more possible. Uh, I'll say that one of the biggest opportunities uh, many of you have in this regard is simply the environment of your home. Because in the home is where we all, as we grow up, where we learn to receive love, to give love, to form virtues. We learn how to work. We learn how to make sacrifices. We learn all of these massively important things for development as a human being, and it continues into adulthood. And so making sure the home is an environment where human flourishing can happen is one of these most singular impactful ways that everyone can contribute to the common good, right? So I'd throw that one out there as, as one for you to keep in mind in a, in a special way. But that's the second obligation we have towards society is working towards the common good. The last uh, responsibility we have that I'll mention is that we have to use the gifts that we have been given by God for the good of other people. This also is very much common sense but it's good to unpack. The first thing I want to point out in this regard is that it's very important for us to understand that God has, by deliberate design, distributed His gifts, both spiritual and material, in an uneven, unequal manner to mankind. This is very important for us to understand. Even in the spiritual realm, a lot of people get tripped up on this. But even in the spiritual realm, he distributes grace unevenly as well. He distributes material goods unevenly. He distributes intellectual ability unevenly, physical capacity. All sorts of things are distributed in an uneven manner. Now we might ask the question, why is that the case? Because as Americans in the 21st century, we have sort of this deep sense of fairness. And when we look at that, that can seem very unfair. Why would the Lord give more of this to one person and less to another? And more of that to one person and less to another? There's really two reasons for this. And I'll explain those to you by reading a quote from the Dialogues of St. Catherine of Siena, where God the Father spoke to Catherine and explained to her exactly why he has done this. And I'll pause in the middle of the quote to draw out these important 
points for reflection. He tells St. Catherine, and so I have given many gifts and graces, both spiritual and temporal, with such diversity that I have not given everything to one single person. So that, number one, you may be constrained to practice charity towards one another. That's the first, you might say, the most fundamental reason God has distributed His graces unequally is so that when I have something someone else doesn't have, I'm forced to practice charity towards them, to share with them my talent, to share with them my wealth, to share with them some virtue that comes easily to me that comes more difficult to them, to share this sort of overflow that I've received where they might have a lack. Number one reason that God's gifts are distributed unevenly. But then the Lord goes on. He says, I have willed that one should need another. Second reason God has distributed His graces and His gifts unevenly is so that we have an experience of dependence upon another person. So that we don't fall into the illusion that we're an island or that we're self-sufficient or that we can do everything by ourselves. And especially so that we don't fall into the illusion that we don't need God. The fact that we have to rely on other people for certain things, and at certain stages in our life, we rely on other people merely to survive. Think about a child. Think about an an elderly person who can no longer move around. The Lord has done this so that we don't forget the more primary dependence, which is upon Him that if He stopped holding us in existence at any moment, poof, we would stop existing. It's very easy for us to fall into the illusion of self-sufficiency, the self-made man, as it's said, that I I can do everything by myself, I can be independent. No, that's that's all an illusion. God has created the human family so that we have to rely on each other for certain things. We can't do it all by ourselves, And that's wonderful. It's not something we should see as a problem or as something to be solved. That's the way God has deliberately designed it. So those are, the, those are the reasons. So that we can exercise charity when we have an abundance and so that we can feel a dependence, be reminded of that when we have a lack. Right. I'll give you one last example here. The Lord tells St. Catherine that He also distributes virtues unevenly. Now obviously we have a part to play in forming virtues, but at the same time, the Lord creates each of us in such a way that for me, virtue X might be easier to acquire than virtue Y, while for my friend, it's the opposite. Uh, And this might be frustrating, but again, it's a place where we can help one another. So one of my best friends, for example, we're almost the opposite when it comes to a couple specific virtues. I, by nature, like the virtue of order comes fairly easily to me, living an ordered and kind of organized life, whereas fortitude is extraordinarily difficult for me for a variety of reasons. Doing difficult things, enduring things that are painful does not come easy to me at all. 
Fortunately, one of my best friends, he has sort of fortitude coming out of his ears. Uh, he doesn't really care what people think or how hard something is. He just does it. Uh, but to put it lightly, he struggles with order, right? <laughs> and so we, we have this exchange where like my virtue can overflow to his and the lack of my virtue can be received from, from his overflow, right? And the Lord has, has done this on purpose so that we can, we can exercise charity towards one another and so that we can rely on each other. So give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. What are our responsibilities to society? We have to respect legitimate authority. We have to contribute to the common good. And we have to use our gifts uh, for the good of others. So maybe you can take these and reflect on them a little bit uh, in your life and see where the Lord might be calling you to uh, make some resolutions or some changes or recommit yourself in a certain direction.